Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffer, New Hampshire. Our new series is focusing on the book of Titus. If you were building a church from square one, what would you make sure to include into the architectural schematics and blueprints? Titus aims to examine the framework and the core beliefs that make up a good church. Jesus has laid out instructions for us to follow, and according to Paul's letter to a young pastor, Titus, the Christian church should always include humble leadership, sound doctrine, godly living, all sourced from the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus. So join us as we dive into examining what makes up a Christ-centered church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be jumping in this series of Titus, Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read through Titus. Well, really, the last verse in Titus chapter 2, which is verse 15, really carries over into the last chapter of chapter 3. This message is the gospel on the Titus trail. Uh, and, and the last couple of weeks, let me, let me just read the passage first, and then by way of introduction, we'll, we'll explain where we're going with this. I'm, I'm really excited about this message. There's a a richness to this gospel-centeredness that we're kind of ending this short mini-series on uh, that I think is going to be very helpful to us all. So let's read Titus 2, verse 15, and in through chapter 3. 2, 15 says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to, and to be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So again, he reminds us, as the people of God, we're to be living like we uh, believe what it is that we're saying. Live it out. You know, be ready, be gentle, be courteous, right? And then he gives the explanation of that. Verse 3 He gives into that gospel motivation. Why is it that we seek to live out our faith? What is our faith? What is all of this? Well, it's because of this. This is going to be our focus this morning. Verse 3. For we ourselves, you and me, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a great start to a message, right? But then verse 4. Love it. Here it is. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. But not because of works done by us in righteousness, (laughs) but according to His own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, Verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the saying, or really in a sense of all of that He has just said, it is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, get that? Believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But then he goes into the ending here. He reminds us again of one of the occasions. The reason he's writing this letter is because you've got to be careful. Because you must, verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. 
And as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Verse 12, I send Artemis and Tychius to you. Do your best to come to me at uh, Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer. Remember that lawyers are mentioned in the Bible? There they are, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And then I love this. Summary, kind of a little bit of a summary verse for the whole book. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this truth. We submit ourselves under your truth today. May your spirit speak through this truth, through your word, through me, and into our hearts today. Enliven us, renew us, remind us of your restoration, of your salvation, of your, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Help this not today, God. Help this not to be a religious exercise that we participate, leave, and remain unchanged. But that we, this would be a, an act of submission and repentance to who you are the one who has come to transform the world and our hearts and our lives, our marriages, our relationships. God, we submit ourselves under your rule and as we sang earlier, you are the king above all kings. We praise you, God, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the gospel on the Titus Trail. We're going to get to this Titus Trail idea towards the kind of second part of the sermon today. But we've been going through this book of Titus, and we looked at this concept in Titus, this blueprint theme, right? We even had a floor plan for how the gospel-motivated living was. And maybe they can bring that up, this gospel-motivated living of what that looks like. We went through this the last two weeks in a sense of what it is that we are to uh, live in and through and how is it that a good, healthy church operates and functions. And that good, healthy church operates and functions because there are good, healthy Christians operating and functioning in the same floor plan, this structure, this way of living. That our good works and our godliness and our holiness is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit because we are being fed sound doctrine and truth. We believe in God and we have faith in His power to change us. And it is this, these things are not all separated or isolated or walled off, but opened up together in a nice, as is popular today, an open floor plan, right? Okay? So as we have that open floor plan, we have a church that's being built that is teaching sound doctrine, teaching truth, and yet the people of God submitting themselves under that and seeking to live it out. When you have one that is broken or a broken pipe, the water goes in and it's plugged up and it's not being poured out like a fountain to bless anybody. You have people who are taking in truth but not living it out. Or you have people who are seeking to live out good works and do good things in this world but do not operate and submit themselves under the truth of God. They're trying to do good works and godly living in their own strength, in their own way, in their own design. 
And they're not submitting even to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life as the Holy Spirit transforms us, empowers us. In a sense, gospel-empowered living is meant to be divided in that way that the gospel empowers our living. And so in a sense, that's this whole book of Titus in a nutshell as Paul is speaking to Titus, how do you plan a church? How do you grow a church? How does a church continue to grow and be strengthened in the truth? What is it that you need to do? So that's that foundation where a church goes from a building foundation, yes, Jesus as the cornerstone, and then it goes from a a house per se with the framing that goes up, and yet when that house is done, there it, it goes from a house to a home where people move into that home, and then people live in that home together, and we looked at Titus too, older men, older women, younger women, younger men. The people in the church, the employee-boss relationships, the people in church living in this same household, right, with one father that we talked about in the household of God, the church, right? So hopefully some of you are tracking with me. If you're just here for the first time, this is stuff that you can find we've been going over the last three weeks. But ultimately, Titus reminds us of something that Josh reminded us when he opened up this series, especially in Titus 1, it comes up a lot when he covered that, and he reminds us again of it in Titus chapter 3, and that is that your home needs to be defended. So our first kind of major point for this home that we're building is this sense of home defense, okay, a a, a defense system for your home. And then we're going to look at the power of the gospel that is meant to go out from that home. You don't stay in that home and in that house all the time. No, you go out and you hike a trail. You go out on the road. You go out and seek to encounter people along the road that you can invite in this aspect of hospitality over to your home. Are you guys kind of tired of all the home illustrations and metaphors here? Okay, Um, I, I may be forcing it too much. We'll see. Okay, but this idea of home defense I think works really well. If you look at the end of chapter 2, verse 15, if you were to look at beginning of chapter 3, and then that ending part of chapter 3, he is very clear that we're to live out the gospel, but we are also to defend the house, to defend the gospel that we are living in, to combat false teaching. That is one of the main reasons Titus writes this whole book, I mean, sorry, Paul writes this whole book to Titus, is to combat false teaching teaching. If you have a house, many of you maybe today uh, have these kind of ring cameras. It's so easy to put surveillance cameras on your house, right, to have in a place where you can constantly see. Many of you can be at work and you're checking your phone because your Arlo camera or ring camera or something has spotted something that goes on. And we have a, a way where maybe at night you lock your doors, right? You have a maybe an alarm system that if those windows are lifted at night, the alarms will go off. And some of you like we live in New Hampshire, I don't even know what you're talking about in any of those things, right? Well, or maybe some of us just have around, uh, maybe it is more applicable to us who live in the, in the boonies, in the woods, right? It, you have a vegetable garden and you put a surveillance system around that, an electric fence. We protect those things and our chickens more than we do our own house. I leave my keys in my car pretty much wherever I want so, and wherever I go. So if you're looking to steal a car, you know, there's a Subaru there for you, you know. I don't know why anyone would want to steal it, but hey, uh, you know, that's just New Hampshire, But I'm visiting this next week, going down to Philadelphia to see my sister. And when we're in that city area, we lock our cars, right? You lock your doors at night. Around here, many of us, you know, it's not a big deal, right? And yet, there is this sense that if you knew there were intruders in your house or that bump at the night, 
You wake up, what was that? You know? And you know something's in the house. And for me, it's usually an animal, not a person, right? It's the bear on my deck that I've told you about. Or it's in my, our first apartment. It was the raccoons on the deck. I told you about that story. I busted open the door and bang, bang, shot, and shot some raccoons. We'll, we'll do that story for another time. Uh, but most of the time, I'm not shooting anything but, you know, those intruders of the raccoons that are getting my trash. Oh, man, that was an exciting night. But um, those kinds of things. We defend our home. We defend your turf, right? Even in sports, we have this sense of, like, this is home court advantage. We protect this house. You know what I'm saying? Right? This sense of we're protecting our turf. We protect our house. We defend it. In many ways, this is something that God has called men to, particularly as this is Father's Day. We think about the role of a father to protect his house, to protect his family. Then mirrored within the church, the role of the elders are constantly reminded to teach the truth, but to protect the truth, to shepherd the people of God by gently loving them and caring for them, but also shepherding them by warding off wolves and protecting the people of God. Titus 1, you just look through it and you recognize that in the major part of Titus chapter 1, he is very firm on the truth and the protection of the truth. Verse 9, it's talking about an elder. Titus 1, 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, and this is the phrase that often gets forgotten and people don't like to talk about because it's uncomfortable, but it's here in the scripture. It says we are to give instruction in sound doctrine, but also rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke carries this idea of exposure. So it is to expose the lies, to expose the cracks in the teaching and the areas of idolatry that are drawing people astray, to expose the fact that there is poison underneath that cherry-flavored covering, right? To expose the rust under the gold gilding, gildedness of it, right? To, this is not easy. I understand this. This is not easy at all. And sometimes we might even say to ourselves, well, why bother? Why bother with all the rebuking of the contradiction? Let's just preach the truth. And that is the main goal, main job. Speak, teach, sound doctrine. And the reason we need to take this seriously is because verse 10 of Titus 1 says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. And, and, And then it says, verse 11, they must be silenced. Paul is serious this, is serious with this. He says, in fact, later on, these people are upsetting whole families. They are coming in and deceiving. They're coming in and causing division. And Paul says, he goes on, they need to be silenced. Verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, he says, that they may be sound in the faith. The point of the rebuke is so that they see the truth and they repent from the lie and they are welcomed back into the fold. And so it's the sense of nip it in the bud. Don't let this seep into and cause this rottenness, this gangreneness to spread and deceive people and cause corruption and cause people to fall away from the truth. This is a serious thing. So elders essentially are to, in the word of God here, in Titus and in the church, are to lead the charge in this as they are to declare the truth, preach sound doctrine, 
and to teach it in ways to the people of God. And yet they are called to exhort, as it says in verse 15 of chapter 2, is the very first verse we read today. Declare these things, he says, but exhort and rebuke. So declare, exhort, rebuke, right? We declare the truth, we exhort, and we rebuke. And we rebuke with all authority, not from me, not from my authority, but from God's word and his authority. False teachers will come in. They will come like a scammer, comes to your door and wants to sell you some snake oil thing you need to buy, right? You have to have this new vacuum. It'll change your life. All I need to do is get your information. Why don't you give me your social security number and your credit card, put it right down here, and believe me, we'll send it to you right away, ma'am, right? And so they get that information, they take it away, and you never get what you bought. You paid for them something that they promised they were going to give you, right? It sounded too good to be true because it is, right? It's too good to be true. They sell you something. They're slick. And a lot of the words they use sound just like the truth. Because false teachers profess to know God, but they are unfit for the good work that they are preaching. Verse 16 of chapter 1. They profess to know God, false teachers, but they deny him by their works. They are unfit for the work of God. False teachers profess the name of Jesus. They profess the scriptural kinds of words and spiritual kinds of things. They are difficult to detect at times. That's why they are wearing sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep, but when you investigate, you recognize there's a wolf underneath. And so those are things that we need to be careful of. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about this at length. Unless we think, well, this is just Paul's thing. Jesus didn't talk about it. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Then he talks about a healthy tree and a diseased tree. Then he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do all these mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is this startling, frightening aspect that many who outwardly display, Lord, Lord, I love you, Jesus, yet inwardly they know their hearts have never been changed. They've never submitted to the truth of God. They've never been transformed by the Holy Spirit. That just because you outwardly profess something does not mean you have been inwardly changed. And so these kinds of things are, are important for the elders to recognize in a church, and by elders I'm speaking to myself, that we are to defend the church from home invaders, okay? So the church, we need a home defense system, right, to protect the flock. Elders are to instruct in sound doctrine. They are to teach the truth so that the sheep can recognize truth from error, sheep from wolves. And yet the elders are to lead in that in declaring in truth and rebuking with all authority, recognizing that there will be people who come in who are seeking to stir up division, Chapter 3, verse 10. There will be people come into the church who seek to stir up division. They're trying to get us all wrapped up in a, a foolish controversies and dissensions and quarrels. They are a quarrelsome person. And these people need to be rebuked. 
They need to be pointed out. They need to be in such a place, in such a way that we can recognize that the spiritual health of the church is so important. And if I'm just being really honest with you and candid, this is one of the most difficult things that we have here at the church. It's not easy. And as your pastor, as the elder team, we pray so often for wisdom and for truth that God would help us to lead to speak the truth in love, to be able to give an answer to those who ask us for the hope that is within us, but to do so with gentleness and respect. How is it that we can do this in such a way and yet be firm when we feel like God is calling us to be firm and yet to be loving and gracious and welcoming when God desires us to do that as well? So if I'm being real frank with you guys, this is, n- this is a lot easier said than done. Right? <laughs> this is one of those areas that as a pastor, as an elder, I feel as if there's that weight, that spiritual weight on our shoulders that can be burdensome at times and heavy to hold and challenging to know, are we making the right decision here? Are we not? Where is it that we allow this grace and mercy for all? And yet, where is it that we recognize that these people are actually trying to harm our flock and we will protect this house, right? And so that aspect is is something that I think we pray into weekly. It is something that I know is a burden for every single elder of this church. And it is something that I think at its core, we take seriously because we love you. <laughs> if we just loved our own approval or our, ourselves, I think we would often avoid those kinds of things. But often we have to put ourselves in the front line. We have to defend that place and take on a variety of insults, accusations, and a variety of things that come at us, and we do so because we love you. We love the truth, and we serve God, and we don't serve men, or we serve God over men, right? That's the concept, and we are commanded to shepherd, and so it's these kinds of things, and so it is just a reminder that we need to be careful in these areas, especially at the end of Titus. Avoid these foolish controversies and little things that don't matter. And, and avoid the people who are seeking to stir up division. Do you know what I mean by those kinds of people? It, the other day I was driving um, uh, from Ringe, I think it was. I can't remember exactly now. And fire trucks were whoom, flying by me the other way, right? And so you pull off the side. Fire truck comes. I, I get back on the road. Another fire truck whoom, comes flying by me. So obviously there's a fire over there. And then I remember people talking about how there was, um, they, they had smoke in the air and they were smelling how there was this fire over there. And I just was so thankful that I could go about my business and go do my thing because other people were running to the fire, right? And they were going to go put it out. They were there to put the fire. But you also know that in life, you will come across people who will also drive as fast as they can to get to the fire, will they not? (laughs) They go as fast as they get to the fire because what they want to do is not put the fire out. They want to stare at the fire, experience the fire. And many of them are over there stoking the flames of the fire. You know what those kinds of people are called in the Bible? They're quarrelsome people. They stir up division. You've all experienced it in your life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a variety of situations, whether it's in your town, in your community, in your own families, that there are people trying to put out the fire and seek to find peace, and there are others who run in and just want to tear it up, bring division, seek to stoke those flames. And so we have to be careful with that and recognize that that is a real thing that we're all going to experience in life and to take the truth of God and the peace of God that is and comes through the Holy Spirit, that those kinds of areas of, of, of really submitting ourselves under the truth of God, recognizing the Spirit of God can bring peace where we find that there are raging flames. The Spirit can come and put those flames out and rebuild what was broken 
And that's what we've experienced many, many times, and it's a wonderful thing. And so ultimately, we come now to this Titus Trail. This is that aspect of the house is built. How do we keep it from burning down, right? We have to protect the house. There's a home defense system from those who would try to seek it. But then we come to this Titus Trail. And this is something that we was, I again was writing up on my, on my board and from my mind. And I was like, how do I explain this in such a way? The Titus Trail is this concept that I want us to look at today. Many of you maybe have grown up in church and you've heard of the Romans Road. Have you ever heard of that? A way to share the gospel with someone else by walking through major passages of Romans, recognizing that the gospel begins here. Uh, We are all sinners. No one is righteous. No, not one. And then we come to the end of Romans where it says, confess on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And so that idea of Romans Road, uh, to me, I, I have found this idea of really, in a sense, like the Titus Trail. Okay? It's a small little section. It's really just uh, six to seven or eight verses there in Titus where you can take that passage and share the gospel with anybody. Because again, I don't want you to stay in this house that we've made. This little building that we're in, all, this is really nice. Air conditioning, comfortable seats, at least for the gray ones. Others are like, whatever. Now, (laughs) but we're all comfortable, and yet you're going to leave this place. You're going to go out, and you're going to interact with people who don't know about the hope that's within you. They don't know about the person of Jesus, and they don't ascribe to the beliefs and the faith that you practice on a regular basis. They might ask you, what's different? What's a, why do you, what do you do on Sunday? Why, why are you different, right? All these kinds of things. And then how is it that you were to share that gospel with somebody? Well, it's a real simple way. Hopefully, maybe you can write this down. Some of this is going to be online. But ultimately, we're going to walk through this idea today. Trespass, rescue, alive, inherit life, right? And as you walk through this little section of Titus and Romans and a variety of other passages, this is a wonderful tool to use within your own heart so that you can be more readily ready to share the gospel with others. Is the way you, I find to really be comfortable with sharing the gospel, it's going to take practice, but there is a step that you have to go through first, and that is internalizing the gospel. That is a key to desiring to share the gospel. So it's in the studying of the gospel, the believing of the gospel, recognizing that knowing of it that seeps into your heart, that comes out into your hands, right? And so this sense of really studying, that's what I want to do today. I just want to run through this with us in the remaining time we have. I just want to walk through, run through, hike through, whatever pace you like to take that trail map on your own. We're going to run through this trail, and we're going to walk through the gospel so that by the end, you have a better grasp of the gospel. And then maybe there's somebody in here today who's really never heard this before. They never heard the gospel. Church stuff, they talk about this person to Jesus, and you're just like, I don't really know that guy. (laughs) Well, today's the day of salvation for you. Today we're going to walk through this passage. This is the life-transforming life message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, Evangelion, it means good news. It is great news. It is awesome news. It's the best news in the face of the planet. And it's one of those things that we have to recognize that when this is the greatest news on the planet, it ought to be something we actually want to share with other people. But if this isn't really all that good news, and it's really not all that great to us, and we don't really believe it outside of just, oh, I got to go to church again on Sunday. If if that's all our faith and belief and our trust in Jesus is, then we're not going to really share that with other people. I mean, you guys will share anything with anyone and everyone all the time, right? When it comes to, uh, you know, there's this latest show I just watched, right? Let me tell you about this show. Oh, it was awesome. My wife and I, we were hooked, right? Or that true kind podcast that all of you are listening to. It was amazing, life transforming. Let me tell you all about it, right? 
Or maybe it's a, um, a, this new video. Hey, I, look at this TikTok. This real. This comedian is hilarious. Next time he comes into town, I'm going to see him. I've literally watched every single comedy shows of him right here. Let me show you the video. Let me look it up for you, right? You know? I don't know what else it is. Like maybe it's, um, you know, last night we ate at this restaurant. And it was, oh my word, best restaurant, best barbecue in the area, right? There's maybe only like two barbecue spaces in this whole area. But, you know, it's the best restaurant I've eaten at in years. Oh, the, the, the place, it was so good. It was so, my wife and I, we couldn't get over how amazing this place was. Let me tell you all about it. You want to come with me next time we go? <laughs> uh, the, um, you know, wow, you know, try, life is hard. I see you got a couple kids. You're feeling a little tired, man. I know life is tough when my wife and I were in that position. We, we found this book, this book on parenting. It was amazing. It helped us so much. We read this, and it, it tells us this, and this is how you can help parent your kids. Let me tell you about it. Let me buy that book for you, and I'll give it to you. It'll help you on the parenting thing, yada, yada, yada. You know, I know that... That sometimes, <laughs> this is going to be a struggle. Uh, you know, the hunting, you know, you guys are into, there's this bow that I researched for hours. I watched every single YouTube video on this tree stand that's the best kind to get the best view and the best angle to be able to, be able to hunt that turkey at whatever time of year that is. And then I got the camo stuff. And then like, you know, I was saving up for months so that I could buy this boat because we're going to go fishing every weekend for the next six months. Let me tell you all about it. This boat, this is why I got it. It's got all this stuff, blah, 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 and you'd go on for hours about that. Hours. Watch every video, best research, you know everything. Talk to me about sports, I'll tell you what, we'll get going, <laughs> we'll talk a long time, you know. I'm a Liverpool fan, or this, hey, did you hear, did you guys hear, Lionel Messi's coming to Major League Soccer, pretty awesome, right? You want me to talk, you guys want to talk with me after that, about service? I'll talk hours about this stuff, man. Liverpool, awesome this, soccer this, football this, football's coming in the fall, yada, yada, yada. Hey, what are you doing Sunday, you free? Yeah, sure, let's go do something. Oh, wait. Hang on, I have church. <laughs> well, we'll just skip that. Don't worry about it. Just, we'll go next week, right? Is your life different? Like, do people recognize that there's something different in your life beyond just the stuff that everybody talks about? Everybody loves sharing to, about whatever hobby it is. But how often do any of those conversations get back to the most important message on the face of the planet? The person of Jesus Christ that has rescued you from your sins and has given you eternal life. You might think the preacher is preaching at you when I'm preaching at myself. There are many times when I don't like sharing the fact that I'm a pastor because I know where that conversation is going to lead. Hey, how you doing? What do you do? Oh, that's great. What do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, and I don't feel like it, right, sometimes. And so what I'm saying is, we get way too comfortable with sharing really sub-important things in life. Let's get a little more comfortable with actually internalizing the most important message on the face of the planet, the gospel message, so that we get a little more bold and courageous to actually share this message with somebody that we love. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family, friend, whatever it might be. That's what I'm desiring for us today. So the first point on this trail, that you step out of your house, you hit the trail, you run to trespass. It's a tough place to start, but it's a place where everybody needs to start. Everyone needs to recognize that they have trespassed against God's law. They have trespassed against his property, but not just like a minor offense. They run all over that property. They've been doing whatever they want. They've been trespassing against God's moral law. Our sin is offensive to a holy God. We have broken his law. We are, we are sinners led astray, lost, foolish, 
disobedient. We are full of malice and hatred. Do you guys read this, Titus, two, uh, Titus 3, 3? It's not exactly like the rosiest picture you've ever heard, right? Literally, we ourselves were foolish, dummies, <laughs> disobedient, right? We were led astray. That phrase, wow, powerful, led astray. Why? Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But thankfully, that verse has an ending. For the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or the trespasses of us all. Sin and trespass against God. We are violators of his law. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9 says that we were idolaters. We were thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers. But such were some of you, but now you are washed and sanctified. And that's the aspect that you were a lost hiker without water, without food, completely lost in the domain of darkness. Colossians says he have been rescued from that and transferred into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. We were lost, we are now found. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are alive in God. That's this aspect of rescue. Point number two, rescue. Titus 3 verse 4, this idea that, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Wow, Jesus appeared, Christmas time, right? He comes, this excitement. There is now hope. There's good news. We were dead in our sin and hopelessly lost off the trail. God sent his son Jesus to rescue us, redeem us from the darkness into the light. He's our rescuer, our savior. He literally, verse five, he saved us. I love that phrase. We tried. We tried to save ourselves. We were groping around in the darkness trying to find our way out. We were hopelessly lost and dead. We tried to save ourselves because we don't save ourselves, says verse 5, not because of works done by us. It's not by works that I save myself, but by the grace of God which has appeared for me. Jesus gave himself to redeem us and to rescue us. And as Romans 2 ultimately says, do you not know that God's kindness, his loving kindness comes to you to lead you to repentance? And it is not a sense, wow, God is so loving. I don't need to change anything and I stay where I'm at. God comes to you, leads you because of his grace and mercy and kindness and love, leads you to repent, to turn 180 degrees and follow Jesus Christ. To turn, hey, disciple, follow me. Leave your nets, come with me. That is what we're called to do in this act of rescue is also this, ask, ask, uh, this act of repentance. Acts 2.38, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? <laughs> the forgiveness of your sins. You've been forgiven. Repent and turn and follow him. And you will receive this wonderful, marvelous gift of the Holy Spirit, a life transformed. And that's why, once you receive that gift, you are now alive. Step number three. You're alive. Titus 3, 5, the second part of that in verse 6, by the washing, according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. We are now alive. Mercy comes to you. His grace comes to you. And you now receive new birth and new life. That word regeneration. You are regenerated. And this is that concept Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, that you are born again. We say, I'm a born-again Christian, right? Amen, preach it, preach it, preach it, right? Born again, what does that mean? We are 
been born to new life. We have new birth. We are regenerated. It's like a car battery that's dead. It's got no juice. It's dead. It's there. Yeah, sure. But it needs the car, the another car, to come over and to plug those things in. What do you call them? Jumper cables. And, to, and then to re-jump that dead battery, that cold dead battery, and bring life into it again so that car can now drive down the road and do what it's meant to do. I know that illustration might break down at times, but that's a good, useful illustration, right? This sense of that car that is coming into, it is appeared to bring and rescue that dead battery, to bring it to life so it can run again with the energy and the life that's within it, this Holy Spirit power that's in us. It's a regenerating power. And then it brings a renewal, that your life is renewed. It's a washing, it's a cleansing, it's a baptism of sorts, right? There's a variety of metaphors used in this a renewal of the Holy Spirit. We were old man, now we are new man. Old has passed away, behold the new has come. The Holy Spirit now renews our minds and transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image from one glory to glory, uh, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Put off, put on, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We have been rescued now in Christ as we have repented from and renounced our ungodliness and sin. We now step into the way of the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We're being transformed by the Spirit, washed and cleansed all in that to this new life where you now are made alive. You were dead, now you are made alive. This is the beauty of it all. But not only are you just alive, you now have inherited something that is beyond description. And even as I try to describe this, it, it kind of blows our imagination and our mind. And this really gets at the core of the good news. Because it's one thing to be like Lazarus, come back from the dead, but then die again. <laughs> and it's another one to actually be alive in Christ and to never die ever again and receive eternal life. This idea of inherit, what does this mean? Look at, verse, look at this, verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. You see that, heirs? You're now an heir to an internal fortune, an fortune you can barely describe. You're an heir according to the hope of eternal life. These are those last two points, four and five. Inherit life. We were trespassers. Think about where you came from. You were trespassers, breaking the law. You had debts to be paid. You were lost without hope, but now Jesus rescues you. He comes into your life. He now is your guide. You were unrighteous. Now you stand righteous. This is that word justified. You might have heard of it explained in the doctrine of justification. That's why in church we talk about righteousness all the time. We are the, the apart from Christ, we are unrighteous. In Christ, we are righteous. The process that makes that possible is this process of justification, this declaration of God to legally say and declare that you are righteous before a holy God. An incredible statement. Scandalous, as I said earlier, almost scandalous in a way. How is it that me, a gu the guilty party, can go free? Because Jesus died on a cross. He paid for your sin. 
He now covers you with His righteousness. We don't take on clothes of my own to be righteous before God. I take on robes of His righteousness. I put on His clothes. I get rid of my filthy rags and I inherit the righteousness of God because He, Jesus, justifies me. I don't justify myself. It's the most, that, this is called grace. 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 And it and we become heirs of something. Look at this, verse 7. We're heirs, we inherit what? Well, we inherit life, but I love the way it describes it. We inherit something. It's really what this whole church is about. <laughs> we inherit hope. Hope. I mean, if you think about it, and maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. You, you've experienced what it's like to try to wake up in the morning and go about your day without hope. Like, if you, if you don't have hope, why are you here, right? Maybe that's what you're hungry for today. You, you need hope. You have no hope. The Bible would speak to it in, in Romans and in other places in 1 Corinthians 15. It would say, ultimately, that if we don't have hope for eternal life, you have nothing. Like, if you don't have hope in that Jesus has risen from the dead, what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 15? We are people most to be pitied. <laughs> if you don't have hope, if Jesus is not risen from the, grave, from the dead, and then we too will not rise with him as the first fruits of his resurrection, then, then we have no hope and we are to be pitied. There is a lot of pity. But because that is not true and Jesus has risen from the dead, we have, as we sang about earlier, living hope. <laughs> it's alive because Jesus is alive, right? Alive, we inherit what? Hope. We inherit hope. It's all about hope, and that gives us faith because verse 8, verse 8 of Titus 3 says, this is trustworthy. It says it multiple times in this book, but this statement that I'm sharing with you, that Titus trail, it says in verse 8, hey, this is trustworthy. You can trust it. You can put your faith in it. It's not some made-up fairy tale kind of thing. This goes back for thousands of years. God has been working out his plan of redemption to reach you today, to speak into your heart and offer you salvation to offer you grace and mercy and his love, to offer you a way forward from your addiction, a way forward from your sin and anger, a way forward from your malice and hatred against God and others, and to live a new life transformed by his spirit. This is the way forward we call the way of following Jesus, of practicing what it is that he came to save us from. He came to save us, renounce ungodliness, and now live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age because he has redeemed us and rescued us, and now we are zealous for good works. Why? Because I got faith in Jesus. This is trustworthy, my people. This is trustworthy. You can bank on it. It is something that you must believe, and that's what he says. This is trustworthy for those of you who believe in God, it says in verse 8. That if you believe in God, this is something that you can, can, can literally put all your chips in the table on this. It is trustworthy. It is true. Believe in it. Now live like you believe it. And then one final passage. This isn't in Titus, but this would lead us to Romans chapter 10. A verse you could write even in there. If you write it in the back of your Bible, a lot of times I'll have these kinds of things in the white space in the back of your Bible. You could write out the Titus Trail. You could find out the Romans. You could do a study this week where you're going to study each one of those steps. One, two, three, four. You're going to study those steps and you're going to look and try to find five 
alternate verses that support each one of those steps. And you're going to meditate on that. You're going to think about it. You're going to focus on it. So that you could actually say in conversation with somebody, hey, let me show you Titus 3. This is kind of the thing that's changed my life. I'd love to tell you about it. Okay, I don't have all the answers to all your questions. I can go talk to somebody else who does. And frankly, I don't need to know all the things that answers that you might come up with. I just need to tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life. Because then you present to them in Romans 10. Romans 10, this beautiful passage that ultimately salvation is for anyone. That's what's so scandalous. I know I've used that word a lot. That's what's so scandalous about the gospel is the fact that this isn't just for rich people. This isn't just for people of a certain ethnicity. This isn't just for people for a certain time period or culture or nation or location. This is a message for all, anyone who is willing to admit that they are a sinner and in need of a savior and recognize that Jesus has come to rescue them from their sins and calls out to the name of Jesus, shall be saved. (laughs) There's no, like, some people are almost like, wait, what's the catch? (laughs) You know, you're like, there's got to be something else that we're missing. You're like, no, this is literally what is so incredible about it because it's so ridiculously simple. (laughs) Look at this, Romans 10, Romans 10, 9. Some of you knew I was already going here. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And again, we read earlier that you can confess with your mouth all you want. Lord, Lord, Jesus love you. Sing your songs, yada, yada. Go to church, go to Sunday school. And it doesn't mean anything, because why? You don't believe the second part of the verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some of you need to do that for the first time today. Some of you need to recognize that that's already been done in your life and you need to strengthen your faith in the fact that you believe these words. Because sometimes the Satan comes into your life and causes you to doubt your salvation, causes you to doubt you ain't good enough. You need to do more. (laughs) You need to buy that snake oil to make sure your life is changed from that false teacher who's coming in and telling you something. No, the fact is you need to recognize the simplicity of the gospel that comes in and transforms you (laughs) and actually empowers you and allows you to get, pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and keep in step with that spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's that regular sanctification power. Right, because I confess, I believe. Jesus, I believe in my heart. He has raised him, Jesus is alive. I will be saved. Why, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made righteous. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Why? Because there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no distinction. There's the same Lord for all, bestowing his riches and his grace on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you recognize that? This is the only reason we gather here on a Sunday. It's the only reason. If this isn't true, There is no reason to come together, but because it is, it's trustworthy. Put your faith in Jesus and he will change your life. We just sang about it. He will change your life. It's the, and many are clapping because he has already changed their life and they would love to share it with you. And so I want to extend a call to you today. We're going to close with a song, Run to the Father, a song I have troubles getting through without crying, but that's just because I am, that's who I am, but I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart needs a surgeon, 
I need someone to come in and cut that sin out and put within it a new life. My soul has found a friend. I'll run to the Father again and again and again. Jesus saw my condition. He had a plan from the start. Your son of redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't even understand this half the time. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. And if that's what you need today, If all you know today is that you need Jesus, you maybe need to meet him for the first time, I want you to come forward in the final song. I'm going to be up front. Josh is over here. My wife's over here. Angela's over here. Lars is over here. We're going to be in this corner by this pole right here. You just come forward in that song, and I'd love to show you and pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you, we're going to have people over here too. I didn't tell anybody about this. I'm just deciding to do this now. But we're going to come over here. And if you want to come forward and receive prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you want to come over and receive Jesus, I'd love to introduce him to you. There's someone here who would love to do that for you. It's a simple call. We're going to sing that song, I Run to the Father. And you just come forward. And we'd love to help you run to that Father who loves you, who cares for you. There's no, no power in all of that in the sense until you come and actually put your, your faith and your actions into belief, into, into action. Your belief and your faith comes forward and says, yeah, I need to receive Jesus. I, I don't know him. I, this is the first time I'm hearing this for the first time and really relieving myself of the guilt and the shame in my life. I want to be freed from that. And I want to, in one sense, confess with my mouth and believe it in my heart that Jesus has come to save me because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's close in prayer. And if you want to come, come. The rest of you, sing out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that comes within us. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. You're the good Father who comes to us and shares with us, bestows upon your children the abundant blessings of salvation that we could now inherit. We could be an heir of eternal life. We can now sing with our lungs that we believe and we praise you and we are running to you each and every day and we believe in you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would impress upon someone's heart today the desire to hear the scripture for the first time, to recognize that you want to come into their life and save them from their sins. Lord, I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the truth that it confirms within my heart and the joy that it brings to my face. Thank you, God, for all of your goodness, all of this truth, and your gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.